jambalaya and justice, personality and pokeballs, lingua and love, the Help Yourself Podcast, where in every episode, Brian and Nick invite you to help yourself to bite-sized philosophy. Welcome to Help Yourself, Food and Philosophy with Brian and Nick. I'm Nick. And I'm Brian. A bargain is something you don't need at a price you can't resist, said by Franklin Jones. What you eating, Brian? <laughs> it's always something you don't need. I think that the, I think we ha- usually have things that we don't need more than we have things that we need in this world, but... Anyway, in this first uh, world, maybe. Right, exactly. That's true. <laughs> it is first world problems, you know. <laughs> anyway, what am I eating? Uh, my diet has changed quite significantly because I've gone back to intermittent fasting, and I've also gone back to like majorly reducing calories during the day because I'm trying to make sure that my weight loss goal is met. And also that I feel better. So, um, so anyway, today, the only thing I've had to eat is I had breakfast for lunch, which is always good. If you ever, you know, if you haven't done that, if you haven't done breakfast for lunch, you got to do breakfast for lunch every once in a while because it is an experience. So I had a low, a low carb, I think I've talked about them before, but it's made by a company called Real Good. And they, um, I think it's real good. Now I'm, now I'm like questioning myself. I'm pretty sure it's real good. Maybe it's anyway. moderately good. It's moderately it good. Be. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a company called Mediocre Food Products. And um, it, <laughs> um, uh, the other thing I've been trying to do is I had a bunch of things that were in my freezer here at work that were, that I had bought and just have been sitting in there. So I'm trying to like, actually consume them over time so that I don't have a bunch of stuff that's been just sitting in the freezer for a long time. So, so anyway, this is a, it's a sausage, egg and cheese breakfast sandwich, but instead of like a bun or a muffin, an English muffin or a biscuit or something like that, it is, they have these special, like, I think what they do is just like crush up cauliflower and cheese and some other stuff. And they like basically form it into like a little patty that acts as the bread on the sandwich and it's really, really tasty. Um, they're about 450 calories. So like for one sandwich, it's quite high in terms of calories, but the, uh, they taste really good. And there's only like, I want to say it's like six grams of carbs and most of it is basically protein and fat. So, um, so anyway, I had that for lunch a little while ago and it, uh, it was good. I, like I said, I would recommend if you, if you don't, haven't done like breakfast for lunch or clean out the fridge, fr- freezer, refrigerator, refrigerator, then definitely do it. Uh, Brian's beverage corner. I'm drinking a ghost and I found, so ghost <laughs> energy drink from a cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm drinking a ghost energy drink, right? And it is uh, sour warhead, so it's it's warheads candy flavored, and it's sour apple. So it's like 
very pucker inducing. Um, but uh, <laughs> which I was puckering on which end? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to tell you about that on the next episode and see what. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I really like these ghost the the ghost drinks. They're um, actually drinking a little bit late in the afternoon, probably, but. I, I hadn't had any caffeine since earlier this morning and I needed to pick me up and the audience might thank me for drinking it just because otherwise I might sound like I'm not all here and all completely awake. So hopefully it translates into a better podcast or at least a decent podcast or, you know, something, hopefully it translates into something. I don't know. I don't know what it will. The it, audience will have to judge it'll that. It'll translate. It'll translate into Brian speaking too much and too fast. And that's okay. <laughs> that, that's why we love Brian. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that, that's a normal state of affairs. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and actually that's, it's something that we'll have to talk about in terms of, uh, the, the episode that we're going to be doing today. But anyway, uh, I also have my trusty jug of water, uh, Really good. I'm going to be able to take the uh, the Nick rule of public speaking to an extreme here at my office because we got a water cooler upstairs in my office, so I don't even have to go downstairs to be hydrated. So my public speaking is going to go through the roof, I'm sure, um, which is awesome because as Nick Sager says, number one rule of public speaking is hydration. I think. That's anyway. That yeah, that might have been what I said. <laughs> I you know the you funny know, thing is like what what was what's something you would tell someone or like what's what's a fact or a truth that most people don't know or what's something that surprised you about public speaking or right you know, something like that. But yeah, what, well, what would you was, tell someone was... who's new to public speaking? That's what it was. Is what would you tell someone who's new to public speaking? Yes. All right, I was it that I feel like it was I feel it was like something you didn't realize about public speaking or something like that. Like it was it was like you like I didn't realize how dry my mouth was going to get or something like that. I remember the the I don't remember the question exactly, but the answer was never Uh, underestimate the importance of hydration. Yes. Yeah. And the uh, the funny thing is, it was a table topics answer. It wasn't even a speech, but we've gotten so much mileage out of it. And it's awesome. So water, I water, am... water. <laughs> that's uh so, that's a good reference. I like it. Yeah. What are you, so what are you drinking? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh gosh. That's so anyway, I'm drinking this uh <laughs> ghost and I'm also drinking water. And I had my so the other caffeine that I had is my nitro cold brew this morning and Realize that um, Whoa. I I did it because you again wrecked me. Because first of all, you're like, "Hey, Brian, you should try these nitro cold brews," and then I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool." And then I'm like, "I gotta have one of these every morning now." And then secondly, you're like, "Oh, by the way, did you know that if you look on the app for Starbucks, you can like they'll incentivize you with stars, so you can do this." So this the thing was, hey, if you buy two <laughs> nitro cold brews. You know, over the course of, I think it was like three or four days, then you get an extra 60 stars in your box. And I'm like, I'm like, damn you, Nick. Damn you, Nick. 
uh, now I'm going to have to buy two. And I did. And I just got the little pop-up today that said, you earned 60 extra stars. So anyway, thank you very much for that. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you for padding my uh, stock price in Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> So that's uh, that's my basic Brian's Beverage Corner for today. Uh, what about you? What are you eating? I'm eating whatever is in front of me here and there. It's um, I'm actually on the road. I'm broadcasting live from another location in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. United States. Um, doing doing some traveling, so it's kind of cool. Podcasting helps me live the dream. In terms of food, though, I have some La Casita's uh, leftovers. La Casita's is a restaurant. I can't say whether it's local or not because I'm in an area where I don't know if it's (laughs) like a regional franchise or what. Yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's minimum menu. Like I think there's only four pages to the whole menu, no pictures. Wow. Um, it's like all beef, chicken, and pork. There was no seafood to be seen. It might have something to do with being in the Midwest. And, yeah, you know, seafood's hard to come by in Tennessee. You got to fly it in, but you got to fly it in even further in the in the middle of the United States. Yes, but uh, got some extra cheesy beef quesadilla. You know, there's cheese on the inside, queso drizzled on the outside. You know, the stereotypical beans and rice. Yeah, it was it was good, and like I said, having those leftovers, being being on the road, I've I've had various amounts of, you know, jerky and chips and coffee and water. Um, unfortunately, very little Starbucks, though the Continental Breakfast Station at this hotel has coffee available around the clock, and they've got this handy dandy nice little dispenser. Or I can choose a thimble of cafe mocha or a thimble of latte, thimble of espresso, and just press that button 10 times so that I get the quantity <laughs> of them. I can, I'm just, the reason I'm laughing is because I'm just like picturing you at the thing, just like pressing the button. You're like, press, 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 <laughs> press, press. <laughs> I will say, man, the the technology since I've really I, I don't travel a lot apparently, and there's been a quant well quantum leap actually means a small leap, but a dramatic shift in the technology available to uh, pancake and waffle making. Like you know, how the, yeah. Last I saw, they had self service waffle irons, right? And you. Basically, had to do it all yourself, like old school, right. just as if you were making it from your kitchen. And yeah. then they sort of semi-automated it. And but this place, man, it's just a super eight hotel, but they have a fully automatic pancake maker. Yeah, is it like one of those you like robot do, pancake things? It it's less um, it's less sexy than that. Like it, it's. <laughs> It looks kind of like a miniaturized pizza oven, like a commercial pizza oven, like just miniaturized to sit yeah. about the size of a microwave. Yeah. And you do nothing. Like you just stand in front of it. It's got this little liquid crystal, old school kind of monochromatic display. Yeah. And some instructions on the outside. And all you have to do is press OK. 
you want it you want a pancake press okay <laughs> and like <laughs> a minute and a half later a pancake comes out and plops onto your plate off to on the right you want five pancakes no problem just hit okay five times so if you can count to five you can have five perfectly made pancakes um that's pretty crazy i think, I think I've, I've, I've seen had, those before yeah it's yeah I was just better than a caveman, you know, trying to interact with a stick for the first time. It was just amazing. <laughs> Enamored and enthralled at, at the pinnacle of automation that was before me. Uh, in terms of drinking, I have some water, of course. Mm-hmm. And the there's the aforementioned coffee. I did a refill on that just before we started recording. I'll be sipping that. I'm trying to think of what else I've had lately on this trip. A little bit of soda. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, fairly standard fare in terms of beverages. I, I, I'm not worthy of of a beverage corner of my own, which is <laughs> Very, very few people are, you know? I mean, it's... I know. I couldn't compete with you even if I was uh, fixated on hydration and all of its varieties. Mine was sort of, mine's sort of lacking today, but that's okay. We'll get by. Everyone will get by. Why Why do we wait? What kind of buy? No, I mean, I say every, everyone will, everyone's going to make do with my, my beverage corner uh, that's sort of lacking mm-hmm. today. That's, that's yes, what I meant yes, to say. Yes, yes. So, so yeah. Um, well, that, yeah, though, the pancake thing is, negotiate. the pancake thing's interesting. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> No, I was just going to say the pancake thing is, is, uh, is like, it's weird how, like, like you said, not, not a quantum leap, but like all of a sudden you're like, um, I just, I just want a pancake and pretty soon it's going to be that you just like stand in front of the machine and say, I I would like a pancake. And then the pancake like pops out, you know, like (laughs) you don't even have to press the okay button, you know, I will, I will find, I took a picture of it. And sent it to Dory. I will send it to you as well. Maybe you can put it on our Instagram page. Yeah. And people will just be like, I got to listen to this episode. I don't know what this is about. <laughs> That's what well, they're all saying. That's what they all say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, is let's, this, uh, what is this podcast about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, you know, honestly, <laughs> it's about splitting the difference. We, this this episode brought to you in part by fully automated pancakes and the book <laughs> never split the difference <laughs> by by chris voss right yes he made the book yeah. not the pancakes <laughs> right exactly exactly who, who knows maybe he did make the pancakes anyway no yeah we are we're, we're revisiting again our uh episode that we had a couple weeks ago that uh or that released a couple weeks ago that um and that was about the first part of the book that was by chris voss called never split the difference and if you don't if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to part one because i I hesitate to say this episode won't make sense if you don't listen to part one because first of all many of our episodes don't make sense in a vacuum anyway um second of all (laughs) uh i think you could probably get the gist of the second half of the book anyway. Uh, but it, but um, in order for like linear thinking, no, no episodes make sense in a vacuum. The sound can't travel in a vacuum. 
Well, I mean, there's a debate about that, you know, and we'll 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 get into that in a future episode, I'm sure. Um, well, so anyway, we we had we had talked about the beginning part of the book, covered a few uh, a few different topics that he went over, um, and I think where we left the yeah. audience though was well, was a he he self describes as the the dumbest or the smartest dumb guy in the room. Right. And some of the topics we definitely tackled were things like tactical empathy, forced empathy, mm-hmm. why you never want to split the difference. We we got that far into the book with with you all. Yeah. And uh, we we did a lot to cover how many parallels there are in negotiations in a hostage situation and negotiations in day-to-day life. Right. But there's well, still the other thing that we the book that we haven't covered. But go ahead. Yeah. What else? Do you no. Know? The other. Th- I was just going to say the other thing that we that we didn't mention, which uh, just in case you don't go back and listen to the first episode, is is that the the author of this book was a you know t- FBI like top hostage negotiator. So he got his you know basically learned how to negotiate when the stakes were super high, meaning. Yeah, if I don't negotiate this right, or if I don't get the answer that I want, people are going to die. And uh, and so, after he left the FBI, though, he realized that all of the tactics that he was using can be used for any other thing that you do in your life. So you go out to buy a car, or you go, you know, you're negotiating a, a raise at your work, or trying to get a job, or you know, many of these other things. And so he decided to. In essence, I think he has a, a consulting group that uh, helps businesses, as well as um, this book, which would theoretically help individuals to become better at, you know, negotiating things in life. So, so yeah. yeah. But I think I think where we left him though, and I'll let you. Uh, I'll, actually, I'll let you go over it, but or at least start the conversation is. Nick, it was a super cliffhanger. If you didn't listen to the last one, it was a cliffhanger episode where you were like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen in the next episode of Help Yourself Podcast? And Nick alluded to or hinted at that there was a trick that you can use, uh, you know, like those th- those links, like it's they, they hate this one, sim- one simple trick, right? <laughs> um, there's a trick you yeah. can use in email if you aren't getting a response. And... Honestly, I I will say this yeah. before you get into this. I was in a meeting recently, and I was about to say this trick. I was going to say, "Hey, hey, you know," because somebody was saying, "Hey, I keep emailing this person; they they don't email me back." And I was going to say, "Oh, well, you know, I was just reading this book recently about this trick." And then I thought, if I really reveal this trick, then I'm open to have this trick used against me. So I was, <laughs> so I got a little bit, I got a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking about all the emails that I haven't responded to. And then I'm like, Oh crap. They're going to, they're going to, I'm going to get a bunch of emails in my inbox from all these people I'm sitting in front of right now of this exact thing. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> I need to be mindful of that too. <laughs> right. It's like, so, don't, so don't yeah, reveal the, the secret. Anyway, go ahead. So the way he puts it in the book is, you know, never be ignored in email again. If you've sent an email to somebody and they haven't responded, you've sent the follow-up and they still haven't responded, 
then you just send one more email and it's simply, have you given up on this project is, is how he puts it in the book. You would be more specific, right? Um, in my case, it's a situation where there's a department that I'm dependent on and they, they want to be dependent on. They like it that I depend on them and they don't like it if I go elsewhere. Um, and that's basically what I said. It's, it's like, Hey, you know, we're this, this is still a problem we're faced with. Um, are you still the right group to engage with or should I go somewhere else? And if so, who should I go to? Um, and just then, like, I expected at least a day, right? That, you know, email, a one to day, one to two day response time is appropriate in my book. And within two hours, there was a two paragraph long email. I said, no, we haven't, uh, you know, no, this is the right place, you know, but, but it was an application of both trying to get to know, which was covered in the previous episode, and a calibrated question, right? Is have, in this case, getting to know, you know, have you given up on this project? Um, and I'd, I guess I'd like to springboard off of that to these this well, concept of calibrated questions. But if, if you've yeah, got I know. Well, before you, before yeah, I do actually. And so it's interesting because I can, me specifically and everyone, you as well as the audience knows my, uh, you know, my Enneagram number. And, uh, basically just, just by me reading this or hearing this on the audiobook, it made me uncomfortable. Like when he was like, yeah, you just sent an email that says, are, are, have you given up on this project? Like if I got an email like that, I would like, imme- I, it, it was, it would be more than immediate. It would be like, I might even pick up the phone and call them and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I, <laughs> right. and so it just makes complete sense that if you just, I, I don't know why, like, and I, I feel like it wouldn't just work on somebody who, like me, who's a nine. I feel like it would work on other people as well, yeah, almost it, it universally. Would, so later on in the book, I hope we get there in this conversation. They talk about three types of negotiator, and I think it, yeah, it works on all types, right? the The assertive type doesn't want to lose. They, they don't. Yeah, they just don't want to lose. Uh, I think the analytical type, too, generally doesn't want to lose. And if the counterpart, if their counterpart, you know, the assertive type or the analytical type is getting that question, have you given up on this project? There's this implication of my counterpart is ready to walk away. Right? Like they found another... Yeah. They, they're they going to get what they need elsewhere. They don't need me. I'm not going to get whatever I'm wanting out of this negotiation or project. Um, and, and loss aversion comes up. You know, they don't want to lose the deal. But loss aversion works for the accommodating type too, which I think is probably where you fall into as a peacekeeper yeah. nine, is I don't want to lose the relationship. I don't want to lose the friend. I don't want to lose um, rapport. So yes. have you given up on this project? There's sort of like this implication of we're we're leaving with a bad taste in each other's mouth. They're not going to want to interact with me when next opportunity comes along. Um, so yeah, it's, it is 
it is fairly assertive and aggressive. I think it's the importance of waiting until you've given them every opportunity to be on top of it and to reply to your email under normal circumstances is important, right? right? Like stick to that. It's only when you are getting ignored that you ask that question. You don't want to open up every email with greetings. Have you given up on this project? And then right. I'll go into your thing because <laughs> it's almost like crying wolf. You know, you, you, you bring out the big guns when it's a big opponent. You don't, just shoot the big gun at everything that moves. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like in my sort of in my professional life, when I'm emailing someone and they don't seem to be engaging in that way or, or not responding, um, obviously, you know, I'm in a relationship type business where you, you wouldn't want to offend someone, um, you know, and be overly aggressive, but at the same, but at the same time, in terms of on, you know, my system for talking to people, I usually will give somebody three, you know, it's basically like a three strikes kind of thing. It's like, I might follow up. And, and in my case, mm-hmm. the, the, these, those strikes might be sort of far, far between, you know, they might be two or three weeks apart because it's not the type of business where you're, uh, you know, sort of similar to like your business where you might be like, Hey, we're on a project and we got to like on a daily basis, like how, where are we moving the ball forward? Right. Um, it's more of a, a slower or it's a, it's a slower process. And, and so, um, but once I get to that third strike, like that third time, it's almost appropriate where it's like, it's, I'm not trying to be aggressive. I'm just saying, look, do you, do you want me to continue contacting you or not? Cause I don't want to bug you. Like, I don't want to, I don't want you to be, keep getting emails from me and be like, yeah, why does this mm-hmm. guy keep emailing me? He's just like relentless. You know, it's like, Hey, if you, if you're, if you don't need to, my services right now, that's no problem. You know, I've got, I've got other people that, that do need my services. And if you don't want me to contact you, you know where I am, you know? And so I'm, uh, I need to develop language that is similar to the, have you given up on this project that is softer, you know, so that it's a, it it hits just like the, have you given up on this project, but it doesn't seem as aggressive. Um, and that's partially my personality type Mm -hmm. too, but, (laughs) but I, it, it intrigued <laughs> right. me though, because I, because I want, there's people who I want to take off my list. Um, not because I'm mad at them or anything like that, but more so just, Hey, I feel like, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, I guess this will lead us into like the, uh, the tactical, I mean, excuse me, the, um, not tactical questions, the calibrated questions, things like that. But I, I remember that, uh, you know, basically he talks about in the book, um, using a lot of like, it seems like, da, 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 you know, like he'll, he'll say like, and I, I believe that's the, that leads us into the, um, calibrated questions. Um, it's, it all yeah. sort of blends together for me a little bit, but anyway. Yeah. So yeah, the, it seems like is labeling. Yes. Um, and you might, you might be able to get to a label pretty easily after asking a calibrated question. If, your counterpart is speaking on their own. Like they're, they're the ones that opened it up. Then after whatever they've said, you say, it seems like is a great way to get to active list, you know, demonstrate active listening, show them that you heard them, or at least that you're trying to hear them. And you're uh, apparently like Brene Brown has a catchphrase of, you know, the story that I'm making up in my head is, but in either case, whether you're opening with that or you're opening with, it seems like you're giving the counterpart an opportunity to clarify and to correct or simply say, that's right. Right. So yeah. 
It's like it's like you know, and you used this on me back when we had our um, argument topic, and you know, I was going trying to go to town on you and with um, getting rid of Brian's beverage corner. You, yeah, you would say that it's like it seems like you want your own beverage corner, or it seems like you don't think the audience likes it, or you know, so you were labeling um, to great effect. Except that I was deliberately trying to resist that effectiveness, and, right? Uh, but but with calibrated questions, it it it's a great way to open people up, so that it gives you the opportunity to label if they're closed off, if they're not being forthcoming. Um. So, for one, only only like one percent of any calibrated question starts with the word why w h y. Yeah. Um, like asking a why question is aggressive or passive aggressive. Everyone gets defensive when they're asked, why did you do this? Why did this happen? Like it's, it's very accusatory. Um, even yeah. if you ask with curiosity, people will feel like they're on the ropes or being tri- pushed onto the ropes. Right. Um, according to the book, it's better to ask questions that start with what and start with how. Um, and it's, he demonstrates, I forget his exact example, but he demonstrates how easy it is to convert a why question into a how or what question. Um, like one, one might be instead of asking, um, it's like, Brian, why do you want to quit the podcast? It'd be more like, what would it do for you if you quit the podcast? Right. Or how would you feel if you didn't have to record with me anymore? Um, so it it avoids the why. It avoids like, you know, why do you want to leave me? Um, he does have an exception of like a, one case where you might want to start with the word why in your question. Maybe we come back to that. Uh, but he, he does list off a ton of examples from the book that I'll gladly rattle off when you're ready. What do you think of Brian? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, the, the thing that struck me about that, <laughs> wow, that was aggressive. Anyway, um, no, I, I, the thing about it is that I, or the thing that stuck out to me when he was talking about this is the, uh, well, let me put, let me go back to like my, my nineness. And, uh, a lot of this is gonna, this is, is gonna have to be for me to incorporate things into this, into my, own way i'm gonna have to like pull in some eightness um just because you can't Mm -hmm. i feel like you can't do these things without having a level of you know it really the the whole the whole thing with negotiating in his thing is always be in control like you're the one in control at all times there are times when he says yeah you want to give the other person the illusion of that they're in control but you know, and this is one of those times, actually, the caliber, the calibrated questions are ways that you can give them the illusion that they're in control of the conversation. Right. And the other thing, <laughs> the one that struck stuck out the most to me is the how am I supposed to do that? Like when when somebody's saying, hey, I need a million dollars to release these these uh, hostages and you advise the person or he says, well, how am I supposed to get come up with a million dollars? Like, uh, like I would never even think of <laughs> doing something like that. 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was just really, really interesting. Uh, and he, I mean, he actually all even, uh, I think he used the example when he was buying his, his car, like when he went to go buy his mm-hmm. car. And I think he said that like, well, how am I supposed to afford that or something like that to, to the car salesman? And, you know, tells the story about how he got exactly the price that he wanted without, you know, basically the, the salesperson thought that they had won sort of, and he actually was like, no, that was exactly the price I wanted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but anyway, that's, uh, no, interesting. That, yeah. That, that's a great, like he, he says that throughout the book two or three times, I would say that, um, how am I supposed to do that is almost the default calibrated question. If you right. don't know what to say, if you're baffled or, you know, overwhelmed by whatever it is they just did or said or offered, you could be like, how am I supposed to accept that? How am I supposed to come up with that much money in that time frame? You know, whatever that is, you have, you do, it's more effective right. if you repeat the thing rather than just say the word that. Um, Cause again, it demonstrates active listening that, uh, but yeah. So some other open-ended, but calibrated questions, right? Open-ended questions in case you don't know, or any question where the answer, um, I'm starting this off wrong. Yes, no questions are the opposite of open-ended questions. If you ask a question phrased in such a way where the right answer is either yes, no, or I don't know, that's a closed-ended question. There's only three possible answers. But open-ended would be, they they could say just about anything. Um, And calibrated would be open-ended questions that somewhat limit the possible answers or that are strategic to getting the answer, the kinds of answers you need. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been guilty is not the right word. I've been a victim of my own open-ended questions so many times because I'll, I'll give my spiel and then I'll ask, what do you think? And then they start talking to me about how their mother-in-law doesn't listen to them. And <laughs> I should have been more specific, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so here, here's some of them. Uh, how does this look to you? What about this doesn't work for you? Which, which is a great yeah. question because that seeks the no, right? It, it's looking for the negative to get to that yeah. negotiation. Um, what caused you to do it? Which gets, that's one's getting kind of close to why did you do it? Why? Yeah. It's still better, right? It's what, what caused you to do it? Um, and again, if if your tone is curious and respectful and not aggressive and judgmental, like your phrasing is almost not important relative to your tone. Um, what is the biggest challenge you face? What is the biggest challenge you face? Yeah. What about this is important to you? How can I help to make this better for us? So getting mm-hmm. you know, the us is putting us on the same page, the same team. Um, what is it that brought us into this situation? How can we solve this problem? What is the objective? And then there's how am I supposed to dot, dot, dot. That's the old standby. How am I supposed to do that? Right. Um, well, and then maybe you can go over the why, because he does say that there are very few circumstances where you might ask mm-hmm. a why question. 
Um, right. Yeah. Is because, because asking why makes the counterpart defensive. Like, you know, Brian, why do you do Brian's beverage corner? Like, why do you, you know, that, that puts you on the defensive. Now you're explaining yourself. Now you're having to yeah. come up with reasons off the cuff and it's disarming. But if I instead asked, Brian, why would you ever stop doing Brian's beverage corner? Now I've got you defensive, but you're defending my position. Right. <laughs> and that's not my legitimate de- position, by the way. This is all fictitious. I'm fine with BBC. You know, don't don't get well, hung up on Brian's that. beverage it's, corner. It's, Brian's beverage corner. Yeah. Yes, yes. Brian's beverage corner. Um <laughs> So don't let that distract you if if you can, but you you get the the gist, right? Is the the thing I'm asking why is for them to imagine why they would ever do what I want, right? Right. It's like going into a job interview and saying, "Why would you ever hire a non college graduate?" It's like because I happen to not be a college graduate, I'd be very interested to know why they might hire someone, right? Yeah, um, and now that I'm getting them to think creatively about what it would take for them to do something they might not normally do, right? Um, in my right. favor, that's in the direction of what I'm seeking. Um, so it's it's a bit nuanced. I'd say it's probably like intermediate level, and maybe then to be avoided if you're just getting into, um rapid growth in your negotiation skills, you know, save it for yeah. your third or fourth. I think it's like the, it's the, it's the old switcheroo a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like all of a sudden you're like, uh, it's uh, to me, it, it's, uh, it feels like the three stooges, you know, like where the three stooge, like, you know, one, one's trying to get one to do something else. And he's like, Oh, well, why don't you eat this? Uh, why don't you eat this pancake then? And, you know, and he's like, okay, I will eat this pancake that, you know, like, just like, Whatever it is, you know, yeah. I don't know why pancakes are on the brain. I guess it's because we're sponsored by the pancake. The pancake matic <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, no, I think I feel like, uh, I, like I said, I feel like it is a little bit like that. It's like, you know, all of a sudden, it, you know, those yeah, like in the old Three Stooges, like where all of a sudden they would like start out arguing, no, I'm not going to do that. And then they would end up doing it. And then like three seconds into doing it, they're like, wait a minute, what just happened? You know, like that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. That's what I feel like it yeah, is. Back and forth. It's like one would say, no, it isn't. And saying, yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. And then somebody will switch. And what right. they were saying, yes, it is. They, they say, no, no, it isn't. And the person got in such a habit of antagonizing, they, they start saying, yes, it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And then they're like, "You're right. You're right. Yes, it is." Okay. <laughs> uh, um, the one, other thing. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I was I was just going to say I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead, but I was going to try to start to get into the seven thirty eight fifty five. But um, if you had something before we get to that, then that you can go. Okay. Well, you had mentioned at one point mirroring, and I'm curious yes. what that was like for you. What, you know, if you could define that for the audience and share your thoughts. Yeah. So it's it, it, interesting because I've noticed after, so you know, you were saying that I was doing that in that argument episode, not the mirroring, but I was, I was doing tactics that are in this book 
without, and I hadn't read this book, so I didn't even know that they existed. And so I was sort of, so somewhere in me, I've got some kind of like innate, you know, I guess gravitation towards this. But uh, what I realize is that I tend to do mirroring when I'm meeting with either new clients or um, other thing like that. But I, I don't do it uh, intentionally, I've just sort of have, fo- I've noticed it recently after I read this book, I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'm mirroring right now. So basically mirroring is just, um, well, there's many, many different types of mirroring. He mostly talks about verbal mirroring. So you take, uh, that person's idea and in essence, you, you spit it back to them, um, sometimes in the form of a question. Um, and you're, you're ultimately trying to make this person feel comfortable with you. So, the, the, you know, if you're, if they're saying something and you're mirroring that back to them verbally, then they just feel like, oh yeah, this guy's getting me. I get like, even if it's a hostage negotiation, they still have that innate feeling that like, is this person really listening to me? Do I think this guy is going to, you know, give me my demands or do whatever I'm going to, you know, and again, that illusion of control on their part. And I think he, he basically was talking about it with, um, you know, with, with basically getting people to, um, you know, to like you in essence. Um, but also, so one of the things he said is use like the last three words in the sentence, <laughs> basically, uh, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but, um, but so I did read some other articles about the sentence. Well, yeah. So like use, you know, the last three words that a person just verbalized and, and like turn that back around on them. So it's like, you know, you know, I think we need to, you know, uh, I, I'm going to need $3 million and it's like, you know, basically spit it back to the person's like $3 million, you know, like and, in a form of a question or something like that. Um, so that they know that you heard them. So they feel like you're, you're actually doing something. But then the other thing that I read on the web was, there's, he doesn't talk about this quite you know, very much, but, um, which is something that I do is when I'm in person, I'll mirror someone with body language. So if they're sitting in a certain way or standing in a certain way, I typically, uh, will end up standing that way. Um, and I don't know if I've just learned that over the years or I don't know how I fell into that, but I, I didn't realize I was doing it until I read this book. And then I was you know, I read that article on the web and I realized in a couple of meetings, like, oh man, I keep on, that person has moved like four times in different positions and I've mimicked exactly what they do. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's basically the, basically the gist of it. Yeah. Like, like if they cross their hands in a certain way, like for instance, if somebody's leaning back in their chair and they've got their arms crossed, then I might lean back in my chair and cross my arms. Or if their hands are on the table with their finger or their hands clasped together, um, I might do that same thing. And I didn't realize I was doing it until uh, I, you know, basically I've been like sort of like trying to like watch what I do in meetings and see if it, um, you know, see if it basically feels like, uh, I'm mirroring someone. And I, like I said, I'm, I don't consciously do it. It's not like I'm like, Oh, that person crossed their arms. I should cross my arms, but inevitably, or many times, not inevitably, but many times I'll end up doing it just, and I, by, I don't know, maybe, uh, 
maybe I've just learned to be like that when I'm meeting new people and things like that. But I feel I feel vindicated though because basically, I like I said, the tactic is to make people feel comfortable, and people feel comfortable with things that are like themselves. And so, if you're mimicking that and everything else, um, then it you know it gives you that advantage in whatever circumstance you're talking about. So, hmm. make them feel comfortable. Okay. Maybe. You realize while you were talking about mirroring, I mirrored you twice? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> that's what I'm really that's, bad at seeing it. <laughs> well, well, that's that's the I guess the other point about it is that mirroring is very hypnotic. It's it's almost like, you know, the dance with the cobra kind of thing and, you know, puts yeah. you in a trance. And um the, there's a anecdote in the book where Chris Voss himself was mirrored by one of his uh, consultants, Black Swan Group, for 45 yes. minutes. And he never even realized it. His son like broke the trance and said, Dad, do you not see what he's doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, just uh, it, it works on anybody, but it works great against more aggressive types. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, the the more assertive someone is, the more they can't listen until they've said everything they can think of and they feel heard. Uh, so right. if you mirror, if you repeat back, you know, the three most important things of the last few sentences, three more, most important words, the last three, you know, sentence or so, or the last three words, um, you're cluing in both that you've been listening and that their key points have been heard. Um, and Which is really suddenly, uh, like what he said was sort of a testament to the, these. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say what, what he was saying is like, uh, it's a real testament to the fact that these things are wh why these things work. Because if, if you can do these things and people don't, they, they won't work if people realize like, you know, that you're doing something to try to, I don't want to say manipulate. That's a like I guess too strong of a word. But if you're trying to get them to agree to something that maybe they don't want to agree to, if they know that you're using tactics or trying to do something, then I feel like you run the risk of running into a brick wall. You know, like if like think it, I, I keep thinking of like if he's doing a hostage negotiation and that hostage negotiator has had, had read his, you know his book. And it's like, I can see what you're doing here. You're mirroring me right now. Or, hey, you just asked a very calibrated question. Or, you know, you, you, like whatever that mm -hmm. might be, you almost, you almost lose the, they almost lose their effectiveness. But the fact that mirroring is so subtle that you can do it consciously or subconsciously and nobody's even really going to know. I mean, even that, like you, you did it, you were, you just did it to me. And I was like, uh huh. Yeah. And it just, I just, you gloss right over it, you're you know? And you're talking about mirroring, right? So it's even front of mind. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think even, even if someone is conscious of the tactics though, um, and they call, call you out on it, like, it's like, you're asking me a calibrated question. It's like, you know, be that as it may, or whatever, you know, whatever a calibrated question is, you can play dumb, I guess. I still need to know the answer. Like, <laughs> right. I, I genuinely want the, the information like, um, you know, so it's, yeah. 
But yeah, you, no, uh, well, that, that brings us to a good point. Mirroring, but but I'm hearing you that you know mirroring is so subtle that yeah. Um, well, and that I think what that that brings us to a good point of I was talking to you about this before we recorded, which is like, you know, the all these tactics that he goes over, they're they're really cool, but I can see that you would have to really practice. You know, and I use the example of you know Toastmasters. Hey, there you go, bingo cards, Toastmasters. Um, <laughs> the uh, that you know you in order to learn how to be a, become a better public speaker, you have to speak. You can't read books about how to speak. You have to actually speak. And so, same thing with this is you've got to put yourself in p- positions where you can use these tactics and see how they you know how they come out and. The other thing is, as he get the crazy, the craziest part is like he was talking about later in the book that as you get more advanced, you have to like use multiple tactics in a very short amount of time, and you have to think about them. They they have to be almost like reactionary, like instantaneous. You don't, you're not like, oh, I should ask a calibrated question right now, or oh, I should mirror this person. It's almost like when you when you get so good at it, you can use like five different tactics in the in the span of two minutes, and you know, uh, and, and really like, basically, I, I think that the, I think the effect is probably like exponential then, you know, where you're like, wow, you're, you're really stacking the odds in your favor that this person is right. going to do what you're going to do or what you want them to do. You know, right. you, you practice this stuff such that it's second nature. Right. But also even practiced people, you know, who've are students of Chris Voss, so to speak, still go in prepared like they they've done their accusation audit which we'll cover hopefully next um to to understand what they anticipate their counterpart will take objection to yeah Um, they'll go and sort of figure out what their target price is or what their ideal thing is and then you know which which layers below that or above that they're willing to accept you, know, you you go in prepared because you you don't rise to the occasion you fall to your level of preparedness right um you know and and even preparing for extreme anchors which is another thing we need to talk about both giving and receiving those um you know he mentions a book called uh, thinking fast and slow yeah, and by two psychologists who who basically just run a bunch of psychological experiments on people to uncover various biases, and um, we've we've talked about a number of those, at least the more popular ones, in previous episodes. Uh, confirmation bias and loss aversion are the two biggest ones that came come into play when negotiating. Oh, and I guess half a step back, you know, Brian, when you're talking about how like with Toastmasters you've got to practice this stuff. Yeah. Um, I think one of the great things about Toastmasters is it gives you a place to practice. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about this book is the places to practice are presented to you like five to 100 times per day, right? If you, you want something from your friends or loved ones, like if, if I wanted to negotiate with Dory that we go to bed earlier or stay up later, um, yeah. or, you know, you, you, um, or talking to fellow Toastmasters to get them to pay their dues sooner. Yeah. Uh, or participate more. Like 
you, you can ask these kinds of calibrated questions. Like, why would you ever come to a meeting early? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Or what, what would it do for you if you um, paid your dues early? Or what? Just that, right. that's a very specific example. But anyway, with um, thinking fast and slow, loss aversion, the way that the, that book demonstrates our loss aversion is they, while the um, test giver, while, while the scientist in the study is holding a coffee mug, they ask participants how much they think the coffee mug is worth. And right. it's, I don't know, like three to 50. And, and then they, a different set of participants, you know, on average, the, the average price with very little variance is like three fifty or something right. like that. And then the other group, totally separate, they don't know anything else about the coffee mug experiment. Uh, the scientist hands the participant the coffee mug, and and then they ask how much they think the coffee mug is worth, and the participants say about five bucks. Yeah. So it's like once, once we think it's ours it's worth more to us. We don't want to part with it. The other example would be, um, and I don't know that I can come up with this on the fly, but it's like, would you, if they asked participants, like if you had a hundred bucks and, um, you could be guaranteed. Yeah, I'm going to butcher it, but it was something where it's like the percent difference was ultimately the same, but yeah. because they were risking that percent difference, they wouldn't take the bet or I can't, I'm, I can't remember that one very well. And I'm surprised it didn't come to mind. Um, and we can, some of the ways that comes up in a negotiation would be like that question. Have you given up on this project? Um, also having, letting people think they already have something or reminding them of what they already have and that they yeah. might, lose it if um uh, they don't take the deal i'm trying to there's better more varied examples do you, are any coming to mind for you no i don't i i'm that, trying to remember but, that and okay okay it's not but uh the, the well and I, I, I what i can move on to is the um well the, the the example that came to mind in my you were talking about the the um the the opportunity to practice these types of tactics, you know? And so he used an example mm -hmm. of like a couple things like where he went to, I can't remember what the store was, but he went to a store and when he was up at the front, he was talking about something about getting a discount or something like that. And they said something like, I can't, and I'm trying to remember the, 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 like the main point of the story, but then he came up and eventually he basically said, okay, well, what's the, what's the Chris Voss price? Like what's the Chris Voss discount? And you know, the person that was standing right there happened to be like the manager and was like, I can give you 10% off, you know? And he's like, basically I just asked a question and they automatically were like, yeah, I can give you 10% off what you're buying, you know, for no reason yeah. at all, just because mm -hmm. it's the Chris Voss thing. So anyway, um, well, get, getting back to the smaller oh, example with that would be, um, I went through a drive-through once at 10 31 AM 
and I wanted breakfast. I'd gotten there. I'd made a beeline for it, did my best to get there by 1030 so I could order breakfast. And they yeah. stopped serving breakfast at 1030. And sure enough, 1031, they said, sorry, we stopped serving breakfast at 1030. And I was like, I could have gotten mad. I could have been aggressive. But I said, you know what? You, I get it. Like, you, you got to turn the grills down at some time. And if you, yeah. if you let someone like me in, you got to let the person behind me in. Like, you got to draw the line somewhere. And 1030 makes total sense. And I think I said, like, what else do you have? And they're like, what would you like from the breakfast menu? (laughs) (laughs) And and I was like, yes. Yeah. You're like, I win. I just took, I I win. (laughs) Somebody who had a chip on their shoulder and had, you know, wanted to exert their power and authority got to do that anyway. And I got what I want. Right. Cause it was, you know, they, they, they use their power to come up with an exception. Right. And they felt heard and seen and important. So a bit of how to win friends and a bit of these negotiation tactics. Um, right. I think the other the other topic would be that accusation audit, which if you yeah. are a friend or fan of how to win friends and influence people, there's a principle called if you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Yep. But this this accusation audit takes that a step further. You get proactive. Um and you Similarly, this that concept, both sides of the concept, you you beat them to the punch in terms of admitting your faults, right? And, right. and this can look like a sign of weakness, um, but really what it does is it looks like self-awareness and empathy. Uh-oh, I might be running out of time. <laughs> oh. Take, take the lead, Brian. Travel fun. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think uh, get, get the, to the Ackerman. Get jump to the Ackerman uh, thing because I know you want to talk about that. The which the which one? Ackerman. Um, oh my goodness! This episode is falling apart, and it's all my. It fault. is. It's the wheels are falling off, man. What is happening here? You, you mentioned no, I, you mentioned it. I know the, what you're uh, talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seven, se- yeah, the seven thirty-five. Or excuse me. What yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like I'm I'm, I've got it right here in my notes. Hold on a second. It is the seven seven thirty-eight fifty-five. And the reason why I wanted to get to this is because it is a connection with what we talk about in Toastmasters. Um, is that it, the, so? The seven thirty-eight fifty-five is people. Um, you know, seven, you know, your, your communication comes 7% from your content, 38% from your tone of voice and 55% from body language. So if you read that correctly, that means 93% of your communication is nonverbal. It's not your content. Uh, it's the, I mean, I'm going to say nonverbal, but it's, it's not your content. It's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. And also what your body's doing at the same time. Which is why we spend so much time trying to get people to understand like, hey, make sure your hand motions are not doing something bad or, you know, anything like that. Make sure that you're not pacing around on the stage um, because all of that goes into the communication of your your speech. And so the, uh, the I think in his case, he's just really... Um, you know, really, he's really saying you need to you need to pay close attention to people, not the content, but how they're saying it. So if they're 
you know, if they're slumped over in their seat or if they're, um, you know, if they're, they're basically, uh, you know, if they're saying it in a certain way. So, um, you know, like one of the examples would be, um, you know, I heard you say yes, but it seemed like there was hesitation in your voice. So like you could actually, you know, bring those, bring those up in in the form of a label like that, where you're labeling like, Hey, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like you're doing X, Y, or Z. So I just thought it was interesting because body language doesn't match their, what they say or when their voice doesn't match what they say. Yeah. And that, that sort of goes back to the, you know, the, some of the things we were talking about, it seems like, you know, the, the questions that it seems like this and this, I think that probably plays right into this Ackerman, um, you know, seven thirty eight fifty five kind of designation. Um, it, it is an Ackerman. I apologize. I heard. So when you said seven thirty eight fifty five, I, I assumed it had to do with Ackerman bargaining, but that's different. That's, Oh no. Back in, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, that body language, yeah, thing. I don't know what that's called. I guess it is just called the seven thirty eight fifty five rule. That's what he called it, and I just yeah. like I said, I thought I just thought it was interesting because we we do spend a considerable amount of time. You know, it's it's ironic that we're talking about body language when we are doing a podcast where no one can see us. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, and and but, I think the quality of our podcast has diminished on account of not being able to see our reactions to one another. That is true. Yeah, yeah, that is hard. And that's just for the audience's understanding. Like we had to record today with no video. So we are, we're flying blind. Uh, we're, we're doing, inst- what is that, instruments only? Is that what pilots call it? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and so yeah, we, we don't get the, yeah, exactly. And that was it. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, but the, I think you're right. I think that, uh, which also leads me into it. It's like, okay, so, Fit basically by us just being a non-visual medium, um, you know, we, we literally only have, you know, we only have 45% ability. So it makes sense when you're on a podcast, why you have to really focus on, or not a, just a podcast, but if you're in radio or anything else, that's just not a visual medium. You really have to focus on your tone. Like, how do you say that? And how... Do you speak faster, slower? Do you, you know, all these other things, because how else are the people going to get there? They can't see our facial expressions. So, so how else are they right. going to get it? You know, got so the late night DJ voice, late night yeah. radio DJ voice. <laughs> yeah. This is Chris. You're talking to me now. <laughs> oh, you've been practicing that. <laughs> I can tell. That's funny. Last episode, you thought I was Chris. Now this episode, you think you're Chris. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I was using the example that he he gives in the. I know. In I know. You you yeah. were quoting okay. him, but it's still funny because yeah. <laughs> you didn't say this is Brian. You're talking to me now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's much um, easier to play. It's much easier to play a role. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you falling into that in one of your client conversations. Like, wait, who's Chris? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, who, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, um, so th- I guess because I inadvertently revealed it, there's later on in the book towards the end, he finally gets into actual haggling the the stuff that uh, yes, we legitimately try to avoid in a negotiation because it's the part that gives everyone the most anxiety, the most 
hurt feelings and right uh, makes the people most nervous right well i guess that's anxiety anyway um the the ackerman bargaining technique is named after a guy named Ack whose last name is ackerman who came up with this right and is used in by negotiation consultants it's used by the fbi that's one of those pivot points right that help directly tell the story that you know this is how humans think kind of stuff and it doesn't matter what you're negotiating for lives a discount um when we're all thinking about finding a fair price we have similar mental tricks that we play on ourselves right and this ackerman bargaining takes advantage of those um and and the reason that i got mixed up when you did your you know 738 65 or 55 yes rule, yes um um was that the Ackerman bargaining follows a percent pattern array as well. And it's that's right. 65, 85, 95, 100. Right. Um, with, with some behavioral things in between. So the, the steps and I'm like pretty much verbatim quoting from the book here, the steps are as follows. You set first step, set your target price, uh, set, your offer, this is your prep step, right? This is the stuff you do. Right. You calculate before you go into negotiation. Step two is set your initial offer at 65% of your target price. Right. So you, you start, the, if you want to pay a hundred bucks, you start off at 65 bucks. Um, then you calculate three raises. This is step three. Yeah. 85, 95 and 100% um, of your target price. And you just have those at the ready. Like those are the four numbers you will reveal strategically. Yeah. Um, step four, use lots of empathy and lots of ways of saying no. Like how am I supposed to do that to get the right. counterpart to counter offer before you adjust your offer, right? Like by asking how am I supposed to do that? That's when they start bargaining with themselves more often than not. Um, yeah, because they they empathize with that being more than you can do, and they find a way to go lower. But you never really said no, and you didn't counteroffer. Um, one of the other facts to keep in mind when calculating your final amount, land on a non-round specific number. Yeah, that was the strangest if, thing to me. <laughs> yeah, so like, because what? Well, what it does is it you know, it helps the counterpart feel like they're squeezing you dry. So yeah, if, if you were at, so if, if we're talking about the hundred dollar example where we started at 65, we got, we let them raise us to 85. We let them raise us to 96 or 95% of our final price yeah. of a hundred. Right. Maybe instead of $95, maybe we say, you know, 94, $94. Yeah. Right. It's not like a, it's not like a, a standard chunk of number. Um, and that's when they realize they're getting closer. Right. So right. then when they, um, when they say, if they can get you to budge again from $94, that's when you say, um, okay. And, and you, you do some calculations, right? You pull out a piece of paper and a pen, you start jotting down some numbers, maybe doing the math all over again, even though you've done it before. 
and you say, okay, I can do $99.35. Your target price is a hundred bucks. You can even say I can do $101.03. Like, right. um, Or then they feel like they've gotten you, like you, you basically can't, you don't have any discretionary spending money anymore because (laughs) you've figured out what you can afford to pay. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and even then, if you, um, still don't have them, or maybe if you want to land on a hundred bucks for some reason, you could throw in a non-monetary item. It's like, yes. it's kind of like when you're, when you're the stereotype or the cliche and TV and movies where they're playing poker and they're all in and a stick of gum or, <laughs> you know, right. it's like, <laughs> the, like this i don't have any other money so i'm just gonna raise right, you a stick it, of gum because that's all i've you're got like uh, you're like i've got this button that i got out of my pocket and the safety <laughs> pin and i've got you know like stuff like that <laughs> well and the, the other thing i'll say is is get, get, getting back to the uh you know a little bit of a callback um getting to that 65% because basically what he said was you need to use an actu- accusation audit to preempt and to take the edge off of that 65% because the 65% number is going to come in and they're going to be like, you you don't want to like shut the immediately say, we're not even in the same ballpark. So I'm going to stop the negotiation. It's like, you want that to, you want that to keep going. You know, that's not your final offer, but you know, he, mm-hmm. there's a couple examples like, Hey, you're going to think that you're going to be insulted by my offer, but this, or I'm embarrassed yeah. to tell you what my offer is, but here's what it is. And it's, you know, it's going to be a no it's because you're, it's just, I mean, it's the classic low ball. Right. And yeah. It, it, and so it's not even your end and they know that too, on some level, but they, basically what he said is that accusation audit will take the sting out, out of it a little bit like, Oh, okay. He knows that this is an insulting offer. And so it's almost yeah. like it opens the door for further negotiation, you know? So, and right. I thought that, and, that, and- <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I thought that 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 round, the odd number thing is, it's sort of genius because it completely throws the other person off, but it also implies that you thought about, like, you, you know exactly how much you can spend and this is my maximum amount. Like you're, uh, and it, one of the examples he used is when you go into the store and there's an item and it's a $2 item, but it's priced at $1.99, he said, People just like, for some reason, it's only a penny, but for some reason, a dollar ninety nine seems way better than two dollars. Yeah, there's this and artificial so, threshold in our mind, right? Yeah, yeah. We because we start with the first number, like that's almost our anchor. So when the first yeah. number is a one, we say it's one ish dollars. You know, that's our gut reaction when we see that. Right. When really mathematically it's it's effectively two dollars. It's more two dollars than it is one dollar. Right. Yeah. Um it, it does it plays on that same trick. And it, it, you're totally right, the accusation audit is where that needs to come up. It's but the reason you have to lowball it is because like in that hundred dollar example that you're willing to pay, you don't know. Like for maybe they haven't done their research. They don't know what they have. Maybe right. the best they thought they could get was 60 bucks. So yeah, you might be deprived of playing the game of haggling, 
but you just got a hundred dollar item for 65 bucks because they took your right. offer. Yep. You know, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe they try to talk you up to 70 because, you know, you accusation audited saying you're going to be insulted by my offer. So they're like, oh, right. well, I guess we expected too little, but they haven't done the research. So they're going to only go up a few more dollars over 65. Um, and everyone wins, right? They got more than they were expecting. You got right. less. You, you got it for less than you were hoping. Like, right, right. Um, yeah. that's, well, that's how you win, I, make a win-win. I think, I don't think we covered everything in the book, but I mean, uh, certainly a good read. Um, and sure. I can still see, like book. I said, what's that? I said, I still love this book. Yeah, I, I do too. I think honestly, like it, there's so many things in here that are, they make sense. And also they seem to connect to other things that I've already read. Like you mentioned, um, how to win friends and influence people. Um, I noticed there are a couple things in there that are like Stephen Covey ish. There you go. Bingo cards. Um, they were also, you know, also things that are like, um, you know, just like, I don't know. They're just, they seem to be very common sense, but they're also very learnable. So you can actually have these things and bring, use them as tactics and, you know, in essence say, yeah, um, I, I'm going to, all of a sudden you'll find yourself in a circumstance and you're going, oh, I got to do this. I got to ask in this way, or I got to say these words, you know, and you see how it goes and that's how you start learning it. So anyway, it's uh, a re- really your interesting part is never your opponent. Right. Exactly. Just like you're, you're never my opponent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're. Yeah. <laughs> I love you too, Brian. <laughs> All right. On that note, I guess we'll let the audience go, but, um, and I don't know if we're, I guess we'll, I guess we'll cap this off at two episodes, but I guess we haven't, we haven't necessarily closed that door yet, but, um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend going out and listening to or reading this book and, you know, it'd be awesome. Uh, it'll, I think, I think it can help you out and pretty much anybody in any stage of life or anybody in, um, you know, normal everyday life stuff. So, yep. All right. Well, that be it. Yep. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Help Yourself, you can follow on Instagram at helpyourselfthepodcast. And to contact Brian and Nick, email helpyourself at brianick.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.